and welcome back everybody to our podcast, Unapologetic, The Third Narrative. Our original and authentic initiative in light of the war in Israel and Gaza. A platform where we will share our identities, views, and experience from the ground. Amira, how's it going? It's going good. How's your week? Same old, same old, same old. Yep, it's always uh, tough in this period to think about, uh, you know, especially now, it's a new year. Yeah, I, I was going to say, address... how was your new year? Well, you know, to be honest, I didn't, I don't understand how, personally, it's hard to me to, you know, comprehend or think about um, celebrating when we talk about the new year. You know, I understand that some people do uh, and did celebrate. For me, like, you know, I can't even fathom thinking about celebrating when you know uh, the war is still ongoing people are still dying and suffering and you know to sit and celebrate as if i'm not connected to any of that you know seemed so out of context i didn't do much just hung out with one friend who was like moving apartments <laughs> you know just uh, helped her out a little bit it was uh, like literally the contract ends on the 31st so we just hung out a little bit and talked about our year and you know our hopes for the next year and that's it how was yours how was mine well Like you said, it's people were saying, we're sending me messages of happy new year. And it was neither happy. There was nothing new about it. It was just <laughs> another number on the screen that's switching. Um, I was actually with, with, only, with only one friend. Um, we weren't paying attention. Like we were having like conversations because I can't, I find myself, it's very difficult for me right now to socialize, to talk about things that are not like, about the war that are not about our current situation um but that's that's just me like uh i think that we can't we can't tell people not to celebrate we can't tell people like uh the world doesn't revolve around israel palestine there's sudan there's uh like congo there's like so many things that if we're going to folk yes they're important to advocate for but that doesn't mean we can't like that's my opinion i know you disagree <laughs> <laughs> um and like people can 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 celebrate their blessings i think that's that's fine i didn't uh and exactly at zero zero point zero zero it was actually a rocket like uh, a siren yeah there were sirens and a bunch of rockets from from gaza on until, the new year exactly on the new year so that's how we um, started the year yep and just to address one small thing about our previous last episode um was with hamza Awde, a small kind of back and forth dialogue between us and and him i want to clarify a few things i think that he is yes he's the first voice that we've brought Um, but he's not the last. And I want to also clarify that third narrative is an inclusive um, movement, let's say. It's an inclusive movement where we want to build bridges and not burden them down. Not everyone that we have brought or we will bring, do we agree with every single point that they make or every single thing that they think. Right. Because we didn't live the same reality as them. Um, but we will highlight them. We will bring that discussion because we we are a new narrative. We want to, like I said, build bridges, put our hands out to 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 others that form our complex societies. Yeah. and as long as the message is, you know, uh, of uh, you know having a new way forward and uh, to bring a new uh, reality to our region in, in any way or you know, there are different paths in order to reach to it or different views about it. But if the people have that at their end goal, is that all of us need to live here, you know, uh, with, with dignity and uh, mm-hmm. to have our own life? That's that's the main goal. It's not about, you know, what you think about this particular topic versus the other topic. Mm-hmm. It's about the main 
purpose and the main goal and the main aspiration that we share. And that's the most important thing. And these are the voices that we will bring with different forms and shapes and uh, perspectives. And just to address it very, very shortly, because both me and Ibrahim are uh, kind of like want this to be as in the best quality and we're kind of a perfectionist. <laughs> um, we are aware it was our first time trying things on Zoom because of the current situation and how we can't reach and not everyone can reach us physically. So we tried it on Zoom. We are aware that there were some sort of technical difficulties, but you're part of the third narrative's journey. We, we We're doing this. We're learning. It's a learning process. And we promise to... to try as best as we can to, to learn from, uh, from, our, from our experiences, not mistakes. And today, we uh, promised uh, our listeners that we're going to do uh, another Q&A session mm-hmm. because we didn't have time to uh, delve into all the questions that we wanted to last time in episode six. And I think part of it is because, you know, Amira, me and you, when we sit down together, we, <laughs> we, just, <don't. laughs> we just talk and we discuss and, you know, it becomes just a free flow of conversation. So, and we wanted to bring and highlight really, you know, the, the questions from the audience. So we decided that today... We're going to have a we're, twist. We're going to have a twist. We're going to bring a member of the audience. We're bringing him straight from New York. <laughs> no, we're kidding. He is actually here in Israel. And uh, our uh, uh, special guest for the day, Adam Shtayet, who is... Uh, did I say it correctly? Shtayet. Shtayet. Depends on where you are, what language you're speaking. So for me, it's because it's, you know, it sounds Arabic because you, you, your family comes from Baghdad, right? Yeah, yeah. My uh, Saba's side, my grandfather's side. Yeah. So, you know, Chitayat sounds too Americanized. For me, it's Chitayat. That's the one, the name that sounds so Listen, Arabic. I, I'm, I grew up in the States, so I heard also shit was uh, oh, the, the, the no. name that I, was, oh, I grew no. up with hearing all the time as a kid. Oh. So uh, every, I've heard every pronunciation, let me tell you. So ours will not be the worst. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, Adam uh, has arrived after October 7th, correct? And uh, he's a, a director, a filmmaker, and he's been here uh, volunteering and helping and producing and creating the videos, uh, particularly for the families of the victims, um, you know, highlighting their stories and what they've gone through. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that and a little sure. about yourself and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm Adam. It's really nice to be here. And I've had you in my ears for the past <laughs> uh, couple of months. And uh, I reached out to Ibrahim and uh, that I was in Israel and that I wanted to meet you guys. And then, look, here I am. Here you are. <laughs> uh, so a uh, little bit about me. I'm a, I'm a director. I'm a filmmaker. I'm chetzi uh, chetzi, half American and Israeli, um, born and live in New York. Uh, and um, my Israeli identity has always been a big part of my life. And since the seventh, uh, I felt like I needed to contribute. And uh, like many Jews abroad, I felt very traumatized and uh, uh, compelled into action um, by the events of the seventh, uh, particularly on raising awareness of the communities that have still ongoing trauma and crisis. Uh, and then after doing that from abroad for about two months, I felt the need to be here and be on the ground and honestly uh, investigate and experience some of uh, the feelings and uh, the confusion and the ever-changing day-by-day um, things that are happening myself. And uh, so that's what I've been doing ever since. And I've been doing a lot of filming over, all over, uh, meeting a lot of people. And it's been both inspiring and hard 
And sure. uh, also um, really important to me to step into this moment, um, especially, and that's part of even why I'm here now, as uh, somebody who's one foot in and one foot out of um, Israel, that uh, to also kind of be a bit of eyes for an American audience yeah. um, at this moment right now, who honestly I feel like are reacting with a lot of confusion and uh, jumping to certain conclusions based on maybe some people know some things uh, from history, but a lot of things through social media uh, that uh, are quite reductive um, and simplified. Yeah, and you know, like, uh, and obviously we were getting a lot of questions, a lot of questions, mm -hmm. and uh, now we're going to answer a lot of these things, and uh, we'll have your voice as the representative of the audience. So, <laughs> for our listeners, if anybody's not happy, you can uh, give your criticisms to Adam for not getting <laughs> the questions. I, I am not. Uh, I'm even. I'm looking at this first one. I am not. These questions will be coming out of my voice, but they are not necessarily my perspectives. But I will uh, actually say when if I ask a question of my own, that it's my own question versus mm -hmm. uh, one that I'm comes repeating from one of the audience, that comes. From somebody, yes. Absolutely. But I respect everybody's uh, thoughts and opinions, and I'm very, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, with there's you guys. a mix, actually. These questions are like, yes, you will be representing our audience. However, these questions have been asked by American Jews, by Israelis, by Arabs, by Palestinians. Like, this is a mixed bag. Um, Absolutely, mixed bag of questions, yeah. A mixed yeah. bag of questions from a, like a, a big, wide pool of like listeners. So it will be very obvious that you're not asking the questions. <laughs> I think sometimes. <laughs> Some Although, of the questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So shall we guys get into it? Let's yeah. do it. Let's okay. Do so it. this is to both of you in episode six. And also, please correct me if any pronunciation of any names or anything. Okay, I'll sure. do my best. In episode six, you talked about the case of Nizar Banat yeah. and that there were no protests uh, in Israel, it is easy to see divide and two opposite sides of right and left. So how can I know as a moderate right wing that Palestinians are not trying to eliminate my existence? Ooh. So I guess the question is like, you know, uh, that you can see, you know, right wing versus left wing in Israel. There are a clear divide pro and against certain things. And uh, um these things are a bit blurred in Palestinian mm -hmm. uh, perspective, and I Why? guess, and I guess our, uh, you know, our um, um, the person who asked the question is trying to understand, you know, how can I even know if there are Palestinians who, you know, are not trying to eliminate me that mm -hmm. are seeking peace? Uh, why, Amira? It's a very important question. Um, I think because there is a f there is something within the Palestinian community that looks at, you know, the, the crucial versus the important. And I think that the the overall Palestinian case is remains the top 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 priority. Mm -hmm. So if anything is you know within the context of the case, it's pushed back. Um, you know when you're comparing it with the importance of the whole case of the Palestinians, and then you talk about you know an incident of one person of Nizar Banat, it's like you know should we criticize and focus on the PA or is that the most important thing or is the most important thing is resistance to Israel? Mm -hmm. Should we have, you know, self-criticism or continuing with, you know, vis-a-vis um, -vis the other? And, uh, you know, whether or not we're looking internally or externally about the problems. And most of the time the focus is on, on, on Israel. You know, the, even when people in the West Bank talk about the PA as corrupt, what do they call it? A Palestinian, you know, an Israeli, uh, uh, a tool. 
an Israeli planted uh, uh, government uh, government yeah. a tool of the of the Israeli government and we'll talk about it a bit later on in this episode with another question that we had but it's and I feel that this is part of the reason why we can't uh, know but the other thing is that there, it's really hard to find people telling you their true feelings sometimes. why because let's address the elephant in a, in the room it's not a democracy Israel and every single democracy on this planet is a flawed democracy there is no perfect democracy because there is no perfect state of governance Palestine or the occupied Palestinian territories or any Arab country or the Palestinian authority any or... whatever you want to call it is not is not even claiming to be a democracy right um and Israel Israelis whether you like it or not these are your neighbors if it's not Palestine if you don't recognize Palestine Egypt Jordan the ties with the UAE they're not they, they're, they're not, not democracies either. They, there are elements like the with the UAE there's shura uh, which is like moderation and uh, and um, what's shura talking together uh, yes like basically the gathering and discussing and like discussion certain, together uh, yep. uh, there are those elements uh, however none of them are claiming to be a democracy Israel is claiming and waves the sign of the only democracy in the Middle East So yeah, of course, you're going to have differentiation between right wing, left wing, center, and all of them have, like, you know, exactly, there Repres- are protests. And they're represented. Yeah, and they're represented. By parties and all that. While in the PA, there are no other parties. Mm-hmm. There know. are, I have heard from from Samir Sinjlawi, uh, also, like, he's part, I, this is the first time I hear it from someone, he said he was part of the opposition in Fatah. Within Fatah. Yeah. Yeah, so within the party itself, there are factions uh-huh. of, of the pro, the Fatah movement, as mm-hmm. is in the way that it's working, and there are oppositions, but there are internal discussions. It's not the discussions of the so population. So it's the shura. Yeah, yeah. It's not the discussions of, you know, the Palestinians mm-hmm. of Ramallah discussing, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. how... It's only internal discussions. And uh, and like you said, we can't know because it's not a democracy. It's not like there are parties that are, you know, it's clear that you're supporting one over the other. And, uh, and when people like Nizar Bannat raise their voice and are, you know, outspoken, they've been eliminated. Mm-hmm. But so, that doesn't mean that they don't exist. Exactly. You can find these voices. And we know them. It's just like we see, it's dangerous. That's why they have code names. They have, they operate in silence. They operate, um, like, even when they do have meetings, like we see, it's very, like, very sketchy stuff. We'll meet We'll meet in this broad area, and they only tell you the, the actual location at the end because they know how life-threatening it can be. Yeah, so people, you know... Um... But how can they differentiate? Uh, it's hard to differentiate. We, we understand the complexity of, of, of like, you can't just ask a person, are you supportive of the PA yeah. or are you like, it doesn't work like that. And they might give me an answer, give you somebody like another yeah. answer. That's also another thing because they don't know what you expect to say. Um, so the answer to that is you can't know. But there are voices. You can hear the voices and understand from, you know, the the, the few activists that are, are outspoken. We know quite a few activists who are outspoken, mainly, you know, from East Jerusalem, more so than Ramallah, for instance. But you can get inspiration that, you know, if these people are speaking, they're not, they don't come out of, you know, um, a, 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 another dimension or reality. They come from the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. So if they exist, other exist as well. You know, their community, their people, their friends also probably share very similar views to theirs. So they're not, you know, people that come out of nowhere. We just need faith. 
that the people exist. And, and the same on discussion. the Palestinian side. It's hard to say, well, I don't know if Israelis actually want to, you know, uh, create a two-state solution. We have a question about that later on, whether or not, you know, uh, it's... Um, it's a camouflage for continuing a one-state movement. So how can you know? Because there are people who are outspoken. You mm -hmm. need to trust that they're not alone. And if we trust each other that we we can speak, then we'll see that you know there is a magnitude to it. But it takes time. And invite dialogue where it exists Absolutely. and where it doesn't exist. Just like test the waters. Can I ask a question on this, actually? Yes. Um, and feel free to, if we're dragging it, feel free to. <laughs> no, okay, okay, I will. I will. I will. This wasn't me cutting you off, but I do have an actual question. We can um, dig in the lachfol. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I guess I know it. Um, how, is there a possibility of um, ascertaining, there have been lots of things since the 7th that have been polls that have I've seen that have been done, uh, Palestinians in the West Bank, uh, about their opinion on, Fatah, Hamas, all these things since the 7th, given everything that you just said about people's willingness to present their actual opinion versus a particular opinion that's kind of expected, okay, expected or accepted, depending on who they're around, whatever, mm -hmm. how uh, truthfully should we take these kinds of uh, polls that have been conducted? Because honestly, they've some of them have felt, I think, to people who have a, an Israeli association, it felt very depressing. Yeah, discouraging. Yeah. I personally, I disregard them, especially in the time of war, because people are triggered and you're going asking them about the trigger, like you're, you're, you're touching the wound. You're touching the wound and asking them a question about that wound. Um, so I personally disregard them. Um, maybe it's naive of me, but uh, I think... I don't I don't think I think it has less of, like it's less valid. It's less, it has less validity in my eyes, specifically in the time of conflict, because in the time of war. Sorry, um, because we saw a poll from uh, coming out of, of Gaza and uh, from coming out of Gaza prior to October the 7th. And it was all it was swaying to against Hamas all of a sudden, because after October 7th, now we have a change of, of thingies. Why? Because of the current situation, yeah. because the people, the people want us, the, the Palestinian people want uh, a rescuer, want a shield. And no matter how shitty that shield is, they're going to tell you like anyone, just anyone protect me. And yes, they're not protecting them. They're not at all. But like, I can understand how that conclusion can come. To, but it doesn't mean that it's representative. And we see the polls, uh, some of the, they, they say the West Bank and Gaza. Who are you asking from Gaza? How did you get to the Gazans? Which I Gazans? Yeah, are which Gazans are? Right every now, Gazan yeah. we've spoken to was like desperate about like finding a solution because he doesn't want to continue the war. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think, you know, the issue uh, is also the problem of... Um, I think the poll, the answer of the people wasn't, the, they didn't answer the question of the poll. Mm. I feel like they answered their own question of, are you, um, basically it felt to me that they're voting, whether or not they are um, supportive of defending the Palestinians, mm -hmm. not whether you're supportive of what we were doing to the other side. It's more about, you know. Yeah, مقاومة, yeah the like resistance. resistance. That, that's what I felt it was. Uh, and again, I, I feel it's misrepresentative mis, uh, in, in times of war. So, like, we need a, a poll after the war. Like, mm -hmm. after everything is, uh, like, after a change. And before the war, did you feel when that when that same framing wasn't an issue that it's, you know, like you said, uh, poking the wound? But before the before the war, polls like this did they feel somewhat accurate to you, or how did you view them? 
there always a problem of accuracy when polls are mm-hmm. done within the Palestinian context because of the there's a fear. There's always a fear of you being considered, your views being uh, unaccepted by the community. And you're not sure if the person in front of you is asking in order to, you know, uh, put you as someone who is a traitor to the community. With or what intent? With what intent is the poll being done? Is it for, you know, the sake of uh, Hamas having uh, a stats on you, knowing what, you, what you're voting for? Or uh, does Fatah want to know what you're voting for? Yeah. Or is it really independent? Mm. Depends on who asks the question, you might have a different answer. And that's part of the problem. So no, polls are very inaccurate and, uh, and untrustworthy in the Palestinian context, in, in my view, in most of the cases. Got it. Okay, that's it. Encouraging. <laughs> Another question. Another thing that happened recently was an activist was the case of Motaz Azaize. Can you share with us what happened to him and why he was heavily criticized by the quote-unquote pro-Palestinian camp? So... What happens, what we're, see, what we're seeing coming out of Gaza, whether it's Mu'taz Azaize or journalism in general, is whenever... Because he's a journalist he's a, He is a journalist. He's a journalist with something million. Um, it's interesting to, to mention that he has more followers than President Joe Biden. <laughs> I think it's wild. We need to check that. <laughs> um, um, so generally, with, with journalists, what we're seeing happening is whenever we journalists see anyone talking about or talking against or in another stream of the Palestinian cause, of what it is to be Palestinian, so tied to the land, willing to die for the land and for the cause. Anyone who's talking like anything that's outside of that, outside of that you see the journalist walk away. You see the camera shift and everything stops going towards that person that's talking and expressing that they want to live. Two things. One, he had an interview with Al Jazeera and he said um, that Hamishi uh, Hayati, which means like uh, something within those lines of the most important thing is my life. And people didn't like that. People were like, it's the Palestinian cause. You should be ready to uh, die to for die it. for the Palestinian cause. A second thing is that he posted an in, uh, kind of like a dialogue or an interview on social media with a um, with a random Palestinian man uh, that said that he's willing to co- to to uh, coexist. He's willing. He's like, we live side by side, live side by side, but we just want to live. We want peace. We want to continue. I want my children and my kids. Like he, what we say. And people criticize that. How could you highlight that? Why could you? Why could you say that? We we need to let people keep hope. We've lost so much. Um, the colonialist settler Zionist entity da 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 da, da will feed into this. Um, and uh, that's what's happening to to Murtaz at the moment. Not at the moment because as, as uh, when we publish this, it's going to be old news. But. Um, I think it's important to to talk to both our American, Arab, and every single English-speaking audience that... Because it's not only Arabs. Yeah. A lot of the West also pushing, you know, the Gazans are being like the sacrificial goats for yeah, yeah, this yeah. cause. Uh, by any means necessary. By any means... It's, but the by any means necessary sentence is yeah. exactly reflect, reflected here. What means are you putting into this cause? <laughs> I don't see you running away. I don't see your family, like you burying your family and then seeing bulldozers on top of where you buried your family. Like it's... And you're desperate to live. Uh-huh. And if you, as a Gazan, you are, you're feeling despair. You're, you're looking for a different route. You want to live... 
that's your right. Mm -hmm. And it's no one else's right to tell you otherwise, to tell you to keep going and that you can't say these things because it will diminish the Palestinian cause. How dare you? you know, put yourself in, in the shoes of the Gazan and tell him that this is the way that he needs to uh, to act and to be advocating and to, uh, you know, keep going with the struggle. Like, people are dying. They barely have food and water. They're desperate for water. Like, they stand in, like we talked to one of the Gazans, they stand in days waiting for, for a little bit of water. And then you're telling them, no, you need to continue and fight uh, no matter what. Like... Who are you to tell the Gazans what to do? They're the ones who are suffering. It's their fate. So they're the only ones who are allowed to decide what they want and what they think about their future. Not anyone else. And if they want to end this war and somehow find a formula for two, like, two states, we don't, and they don't need to be friends. They're not talking about being friends. We just want to live in peace alone, in dignity. We don't want anything else. And that's the right. Just like you sitting at home comfortably, living your life, they deserve the same. They shouldn't be the ones who are only doing the fighting and dying. Question now for Amira. Okay. Do you feel that you are a representative of Palestinian views? All of them? Some? West Bankers? Gazans? Jerusalemites? <laughs> um, no, I don't think... I never claimed to be a representative of the Palestinians or even Israeli Palestinians or Palestinian Israelis or Arab or whatever, uh, the vast difference of uh, identities that we have. Uh, I don't think that anyone is a representative because we're all like we talk about the difference, the difference in or in my in my opinion, uh, the differences between Palestinians is how short of a stick were they dealt? How much suffering did they go through? And that formulates how privileged they are, quote unquote, privileged, like it's not actual privilege, it's living decently. How much were they allowed to live decently? Were they given, were they given citizenship, have equal rights, live in a, in a proclaimed democracy? Are they residents? Are they West Bankers? Are they um, Gazans, being slaughtered in, in, in Gaza? Are they refugees? Are they in the diaspora waiting to just smell the, 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 the soil of their homeland? I'm not. I'm not all of those. I can't be. No, neither are they. But that doesn't mean not because just because I'm not suffering in Gaza right now, just because I'm not Marta Zazaiza, just because I'm not this other person that's living that horrible circumstance right now. That doesn't mean that I can't speak because I'm going through something as well. It's completely different, but it's part of the situation. I like. I think all voices should be amplified. We shouldn't like. Um, all Palestinian voices should be amplified. Like the Jerusalemites should be uplifted. The West Bankers should be uplifted. Uh, Gazans specifically right now as well. And uh, and Arab and uh, what is known to be Arab, Arab Israeli, citizens. Arab citizens of Israel or Palestinian citizens of Israel as well. Um, what do you think? I mean, I don't think I'm a representative of my community either. Like, uh, you know, I think some people view things a bit similar to mine in, in certain ways and in others they don't. And, uh, you know, um, some people disagree almost completely mm -hmm. and others agree with 80%, others with 50 like, and that's okay. It's okay to have plurality because it's not something that we like had, you know, always um, that much of plurality of views and uh, like going back to like having one Palestinian narrative of, you know, resistance, this and that things are changing. And, uh, and we need to create plurality of views so we can create a discussion. That way we can formulate a view of what, how we want to move forward. 
we can't do it without these discussions. And we have our own view of the world, so we're going to bring it forth, regardless if people agree with it or not. And people people are so used to this black and white uh, situation that every time we talk without mentioning anything else, there's like, why should we listen to you and not listen to them? Why? Like we had a lot about the journalists in Gaza when we when when I posted my my reel about the by any means necessary yep. and how can you talk that reel? And they were like, you're telling us not to speak. You're telling us not to advocate. And it's like it went right over your head. That's not what I said. Um, and um, us talking even if it's something that doesn't that isn't something that these journalists or people from activists from Gaza are saying doesn't mean that we're we want to silence them the opposite people are so used to that to a point that they're thinking that that's what we're doing speaking of plurality ibrahim can you highlight the this next question asks can you highlight the performative role of having arab knesset members who in the end don't have a real say in the government mm yeah, it is about plurality also, because uh, we have actually four different air parties um, in Israel. You know, we're 20% of the population, but we're divided into four parties. And the parties are actually divided uh, in, in, in more than one way. There is a religious divide of how secular versus religious the party is. And there is also the Israeli versus Palestinian uh, divide of how nationalist the party is versus how much is it going for a two-state solution. I think those are like the two elements that the parties work on. And obviously there is difference in opinion of how uh, we as an Arab community need to be, you know, in Knesset, whether or not we should. Uh, our uh, voting uh, um, numbers are relatively lower than the, the, the rest of the um, the rest of the population. And um, it's because of the question of whether or not it's effective, whether or not people believe in uh, voting, whether or not democracy is even effective in Israel, or if we can even do something in this in this uh, go in Israeli governments. So previously, uh, traditionally, Arab parties never joined coalitions in the government in Israel. Even in ninety, uh, even in the nineties, when we had the Robbins party, which was you know the one pushing for two-state solution more than ever before, the Arab parties only supported the uh, the government from the outside. Mm. They gave it an outside support because they did not want to join physically to the government. Because if you join the government, you're getting too close on the Israeli side versus Palestinian. And then you're in a danger zone, I would say, of being considered traitor. This is already against our, uh, you know, people's best interests. You're overly going overly Israeli. That's the danger that they were always afraid of. The last government before this one, we had the first ever Arab party, uh, the United Arab List joining a, a coalition, which was, a, you know, uh, uh, um, a precedence. And to be honest, we also saw like successes out of it. Um, you know, one of them was uh, with the electricity law, uh, bringing electricity to neighborhoods that were not uh, uh, registered yet, and, but there were already buildings being built because, you know, there is an issue of uh, um, building residents, uh, housing in Arab communities and expanding Arab communities. So that's also another issue. Uh, the other law that was uh, uh, passed was also bringing more uh, budget to the Arab community, massive budget to the Arab community that would have arrived if the government stayed but it didn't, unfortunately. Mm. And now actually there's a question of whether or not these the same money that was promised to the Arab community is now with the new government, the same money itself is gonna go towards the settlement. 
community. Oh, yeah, it's a whole discussion right now of whether or not that's what's going to happen because they already promised was it promised uh, to the Arab community or yes. was it promised to the south? Uh, no, 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 to the Arab community okay. as a whole, to the Arab municipalities, to increase municipalities uh, mm -hmm. um, um budget and okay. all of these things so being in government is effective and even when you're not in government there are effects but, but they're more social they're more you know uh, changing workers right um, helping uh, arab students like even when you're not dealing with the big question of israel versus palestine you're still able to do th positive things for your community from within And I believe that uh, personally, I believe that we need to join, we need to be inside in order to make big decisions. You know, pushing a government to a, 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 a two-state solution is not something that will happen if you don't have the people inside who are calling for it. And if you as an yeah. Arab party joined a coalition as such, you can be one of those main and even main voices who are calling for the for, for debate, for negotiate, for sitting at the negotiations table. There is a massive role to play. Yeah. And, but it's not being um, uh, materialized enough. There is a way to go. Do you think in whenever there will be another set of elections, do you think that um, Arab communities will vote in a higher way or in a lesser way uh, based on everything that's happened? Oh, man. And also the past coalition and now, you know, the fight against BB and all this. This is this literally stuff. a gamble. I would say it would go either way. It's like a... It literally can go either way. It's yeah, a dice. It depends on how it's articulated to the community, uh -huh. whether or not being in, in, in politics is effective or not. And does that being communicated to the community, do you mean both by uh, Israeli part, uh, by... Um, Uh, let's say, um, uh, Israeli parties versus, um, you know, the Arab parties that you're talking about? Is it from both? Is it from one or the other? Where's the communication? Where, where does it make a difference? Well, there's no from? communication enough, in my opinion, so far. There's never enough pushing to the people to vote. You know, it's like the same 30 to 40% that don't vote remain the same. And then the four parties are fighting within 50% of the population. Mm -hmm. Like they're fighting for the same votes instead of push, bringing more people to vote. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest issues of the Arab parties. Like even in the last elections, their argument among themselves was how one party stole the uh, votes from the other and the other one couldn't um, you know, uh, pass the threshold. Uh -huh. But yeah. we have like 40% of the population that didn't vote. Why can't you like focus on bringing them rather than fighting on the mm. people who are already voting? Bring mm -hmm. more people in. If we're 20% of the population and we have... Um, 120 seats, in my simple, simple math, we should have more than 20 people in the Knesset. Yeah. 22, 24, 25, something uh -huh. along those lines we need to have. Right. We're not even close. I think right now we're, what, eight or nine, something like this. The biggest we've ever had in history was 15. In 2015, when all the four Arab parties uh, joined into one coalition, right. even then it wasn't even... A 20%. Can you explain a little bit about what triggered that last time? And if that, do you think it's at all possible if that could ever happen again? It was that, uh, the main thing that triggered it last time was actually um, a law proposal by uh, um, um, Lieberman, who was actually trying to increase the threshold because all the Arab parties were relatively smaller parties. And the threshold at that time was, if I'm not mistaken, was 2.5 seats or something like that. It was lower number of seats. So the, in his mind, Lieberman was thinking that if he increases the threshold, the Arab parties will not pass. Mm -hmm. 
And that way we can get rid of the Arab parties from being inside the Knesset. Uh-huh. But what happened is that they were like, okay, you know what? We're just going to all join and put all the pools of the votes together. Yeah, it's funny. It actually uh, gave them the biggest uh, amount of seats that they've ever had. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> funny how it goes. Liberman trying one thing and things happen the other. It's not surprising. He's It always happens with him, <laughs> I feel. Okay. There's also the question of what's going to happen in Gaza. We don't know how that's going to end up. Yeah. What's gonna is it like and how the the parties right now are gonna use are gonna, that to attract to are they convinced that they are yeah. the ones who will help Gazans and in do the they future? have a plan? Do they have a plan to help Gazans? Mm. How will what kind of urgency? Because usually it's a it's a state of limbo, a static state of they don't do anything anyway. But right now there is an active problem where they can potentially play a role. And there's also like the question of like for us as, as citizens now, the question is what's going to happen in the future for us as citizens in Israel? How Because people were afraid. I had talked were afraid terrified. Of, of an, a second Nakbe. People were literally talking to me about we're really afraid that we're going to be like dragged out. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember in the first two, we- two, two weeks of the war, first week, every friend that I know who lived in the center of Israel in the Tel Aviv area uh-huh. left to the north. Yeah. Wow. They all went back home. Every single one that I personally at least know, the vast, vast majority, they all went back to their families. Everybody was scared. What will be the repercussions against us? How will people look at us? You know, and then I I went to my house, to my family as well. And when I got back, when I started speaking Arabic, you see people's turning. People are afraid. And that was at least in the beginning. Now it's not the same anymore. Like, I think now we kind of got back to a normal life in a way, in that yeah, sense. Like, people turn a bit, but it's not in the... They turned every... before, though. Come on. But no, I, like, you know, I would walk normally in Hirsali and talk. Maybe somebody will just... But now, but after it's seventh, people glared. Yeah, There's a I difference people, between an, you know... I saw know... people shouting, go back to, to West Bank. I saw this happen in front of me. Wow. It was like, like go back to West Bank, go back to the West Bank. They were telling Bank. that to you? No, 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 to, to someone else. Someone else. Wow. Actually, and that I'm was in the sure. beginning, right? <laughs> that was more like in, in the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we don't see it as much, but at the beginning, absolutely. Hmm. Wow. Okay, next. This is for both of you. Quote, unquote, Zionists tell us that Arab Israelis and Palestinian Israelis live in Israel with full rights, even serving the IDF. Pro-Palestinians tell us that even when they become Israeli citizens, they don't have the same rights as the Jewish populations. Can you share your experiences? What's your... Because there's an interesting part of the questions when they become. Uh-huh. So uh, that's also so more I think on Jerusalemites yeah, who I can think, become. I think it's yes and no to everything that you say. Okay. Um, like... Um, okay, let's dissect it one by one. So people are saying that uh, when Palestinians become Israeli citizens, um, they have equal rights and they can even serve in the IDF. Okay, there are the story of 48 Arabs, which are basically a community that were granted citizenship back in. 56, 58, back then, 56, I think. And from that point onward, they their children had Israeli citizenship and like it's a generation of Arab Israeli citizens, Palestinian citizens of Israel. Uh, so they do not need to apply for Israeli citizenship. In East Jerusalem, and we've explained this in depth in previous uh, episodes, um, due to the significant situation of East Jerusalem, where it is recognized as being part, as, as occupied, uh, yeah, it was technically annexed, but it's annexed only, only uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, like only in Israeli law, right? 
it's considered to be part of Israel. It's part of Israel, yeah. Uh, but to ask international law, it's, it's recognized to be uh, part of what part would be, be the, the future state of Palestine in a two-state solution. So that's why it is always called 67. by Palestinians, either Palestine or um, uh, occupied Which Jerusalem. Which is actually something that uh, somebody asked uh, you um, before. Why do you call it, uh, when you talk about Jerusalem, why do you call it Palestine and not They Israel? didn't say that. They were like, it's such a shame. It's such a shame that Amira uses these terms. <laughs> I do not, I'm on this platform. It's called unapologetic. I don't care about being politically correct. <laughs> I will use whatever term I want, as long, of course, in the realm of being respectful. Um, uh, Palestine, like I said, I, f I feel like I'm one of the very, very, very few people, wherever I stand across the map, I can say this is mine, I'm home, and I'm right. Whether that's Jerusalem, whether that's Israel, because I'm an Israeli citizen, whether that's inside of the West Bank, because I'm Palestinian, uh, I don't, and I don't like. Why not? Why can't I call it Palestine? Uh, because of the, like we said, because of the unique situation of East Jerusalem, um, it, it's in a state of limbo. Of these are promised people, this land and these like population is promised to be part of Palestine, so they're not Israeli citizenships. So, so they don't have Israeli citizenship. Uh, so they're they have something called Israeli residency, um, which is temporary, uh, which means there's supposed to be a solution at the end of the day where they know like the word temporary and two temporary, which means you're on probation. Whatever happens, that blue, that blue ID you have can be, can, can be, be taken, revoked. can be, can, it can be revoked. Um, and they do have the opportunity to apply for Israeli citizenship, but odds are forever against them. Like they're they're not in their favor when when applying it's to Israeli apply. citizenship. It takes time. It takes a lot of money, um, and it's within a system that we don't know. Like East Jerusalem was my bubble for my the entire entire almost almost the entire of my life was my bubble. I knew nothing beyond that, um, and I didn't know anything about how Israel functioned, let alone applying for Israeli citizenship. Um, and that's the, that's the same thing. Like I was born with Israeli citizenship didn't know that it was significant at all up until like two years ago. I thought like I was an Israeli citizen living the life of an Israeli resident because I didn't, no one told me otherwise. Um, um, so that's that point. Can they serve in the IDF? Israelis, uh, Israeli citizens, whether that be Arab or whatever uh, religion you or Hada, you can, you can, uh, you can volunteer to the IDF. You can volunteer and, uh, to the IDF. You know, there is like a, a decent relative number of, of, of Arabs who are in the IDF. It's 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 not large. It's under 10%. Mm -hmm. But it it's includes, not mandatory, but you can. It's not mandatory, but you can apply. Uh, but not all Arabs, by the way. So we're, like, for instance, the Bedouin community, that is a traditionally was more uh, nomadic community in the past. And now it's, you know, slowly into more uh, towns. Um, actually, a lot, like a lot of people from that community serve. Mm -hmm. And it's for personal reasons. It's for personal jobs and to 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 have a better life and to have you know a job security and and status and all these things. So people join the IDF. Um, some of the you know uh, Arab citizens of Israel, some Muslim and Christians join personally from their own decision. Um, sometimes just because they feel Israeli, mm -hmm. so they join. And the other community is the Druze community that is very significant. And I think it's significant, particularly because we're talking about equality, because the Druze community is a, uh, are citizens. The men in that community serve in the army as part of the conscription. It's mandatory. 
the women have to do a community service or the national service because of religious restrictions. So the men are serving in the army. The women are serving in the in the um, in the volunteering. But at the end of the day, even that community, that you know, it, when you look at the Jewish community, it talks about the Jewish community as brothers in blood and you know, uh, uh, sharing the same faith and all of these things. Uh, two major things that are, have happened to the Druze community uh, in the past, particularly the past few years, underline how unequal mm-hmm. uh, they are in every in every aspect of life. The first main one was of 2018 with the nation-state law. In oh, which, it feels like uh, it was yesterday. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for me, it feels like ancient now with everything that's been happening. Uh, the nation-state law, which you know, uh, uh, identifies and clarifies that Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people, and um, and it's the, the the homeland of the Jews. So the question for the Druze, where do I sit in this equation? I serve. I you know we sacrifice our people in in battlefields in, in Israel and all of these things, yeah. and we're, we're full members of society. How do we? How did you not put us within the context of the of the nation state law? And even worse than that is that it was talked about. Mm. They protested. They asked. They demanded. And at the end of the day, the government turned its head isn't against the, them. Isn't there talk of that changing now? There was something that I was reading about that that uh, there's something that they're might shift calling, around. It. They're calling for it because the Jews are again in the in the in the, in the battle zone. You yeah. know how can you again ask them to 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 fight for the name of the country? Uh, because actually, after after the nation state law, a lot of Jews dropped. There was there was a yeah, significant yeah, yeah, yeah. number of drop out of the army from the Jewish they community. They have the the largest uh, recruitment rate per 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 like yeah. per percentage. Voluntary, right? voluntary, yeah. 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 The, the voluntary? No, it's con- it's conscription. Oh, for yeah. them it's conscription, it's conscription. as well. Okay, so everybody, everybody, like the vast majority serves. Some people did you know uh, defer and all these things, but you you can also go to like uh, army jail if you don't yeah. serve. Yeah. But uh, the other thing that happened to them, and it's even you know more so embedded that thing that people start to say we cannot you know feel equal members is that uh, the Druze community has been complaining for years and years about permits for building and expanding the Druze villages that are very small and they're not getting permits and they say and when they are building illegally because they need to live somewhere like the, the the state has never given us solutions in these things. Yeah, it's not it, it's not a Druze it didn't ex- phenomenon. It didn't expand the Druze villages. Now they live all on top of each other, and some of them are desperate. There's no room, and you want to live in your community. You want to live in Druze community. You don't want to go live in Haifa or Tel Aviv. With all due respect, like just like you know any other person, uh, if you're Jewish, you can choose. You have endless choices of where to live kind of you in know in a very small country still, in a very but yes. <laughs> small country but still there are different villages with different uh, ideologies mm-hmm. you can go to a kibbutz you can go to a, a, a zionist religious community you can go to a non-zionist religious community you can go to a zionist liberal community you can go there are so many oper- like choices of where i want to live and for us, the Jews, for instance, want to live in their own community, and not, even that is not given to them. And when they build illegally, they're fined hundreds of thousands of shekels, 
hundreds of thousands. So there's a huge uprise. There was a huge uprise against it in the past and massive protests. And that's continued. Like uh, it stopped obviously with the seventh, but it will come back mm. because the Jews now are serving. Yeah. And by the way, speaking on that, on the issue of rights, how many Arab towns do you think have been built in the state of Israel since 1948? Wild guess. Um, this is I, I feel the trick question within this. You're not a good. You're not a good listener because we've talked about this. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. answer, yes. The answer is zero. 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 Yep. Mm-hmm. That was zero. my guess. Not yeah. a single Arab community yeah. has been built since the creation of the state. How is that giving equal rights? Sure. When I want to live in a community that is secular, liberal, I don't have that opportunity to 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 create a new community. Just like the Jewish ones have created Zionist religious or Zionist liberal. I want to create Arab secular liberal. Why do I not have the opportunity? Many Arabs are dying to find a, another place to live, but they want to live in an Arab community, in an Arab, uh, you know, uh, uh, vibe and life. And that's, you know, they're allowed to, but they're not given that. And when it comes to jobs, there are certain jobs and uh, that you, can't, that you, that you, can't you can't be a pilot. You can't be a pilot. Uh, uh-huh. You can't be a pilot. I think it was like uh, two you years can, ago, it was the first ever be, Druze. You can be a fighter pilot. pilot. You, can, <laughs> you can be a pilot. But there, there's a there's a limitation to how to what kind of pilot you can be. Right. Uh, like I think you can be. I I forget the English word for this. Um, the one that transports goods. Like a cargo pilot. I think that I think Arabs can can, can get, do that. Can yeah, do like that. Like a commercial. Uh, mm-hmm. My brother wanted to be a pilot, so I, we did limited amount of research on this, uh, and he he decided against it because he was like, I don't want to. That's not what I want to do. Yeah, I have um, a friend who was actually her dad was uh, he studied abroad. Yeah, my friend uh, did to it be in a Jordan. pilot uh, mechanic. Oh wow! To be a mechanic of planes. Even that you couldn't. And uh, even that he couldn't uh, work in Israel. Yeah. Because there's an eye of suspicion on everything that you do. Like there's uh, this uh, distrust. Just so you Americans know, or people listening abroad, anywhere, can you just explain a little bit about who Druze are, the differences? Yeah, I think it's important because Druze and Jews sound the same. So (laughs) we're talking about (laughs) Druze. D-R-U-Z-E, guys. Druze, which is a monotheistic religion. Uh, here, it's in it's a Israel. branch of Islam, no? Uh, so there are different conceptions about uh, the religious aspect of whether or not it's a branch of Islam or not. Different uh, um, religious scholars will tell you different things that it actually has derivatives from uh, Judaism, from Christianity, mm-hmm. and from Islam. Okay. It has elements from Talk the three religions. It's very, very interesting faith. And actually, uh, and we want to bring a Druze person at some point, but they might not even have the answers about the religious aspect because it's what's important to know about the, the, the Druze religion is that it's a secretive religion. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you are a secular, you are not allowed, allowed. to physically yeah, this hold the book. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you can only open it when you decide to convert to being a Druze, uh, to a religious figure. And that's when you are permitted to open the... And there's no way back. That's it. You've become religious. And you live a religious Druze life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the... And by the way, they believe in reincarnation. Yeah. So it's a very fascinating part of the... Mm-hmm. Part of their uh, uh, theology and religion. And, you know, having... Talking about uh, past memories of, of past uh, lives and things like that. It's like very fascinating religion. There is a very small community under 2% of the population. No, it's not even under one one uh, percent of the population. It's only a couple hundred thousands of of citizens here in Israel, and 
We'll talk more about the Druze at some point. We'll we'll when promise we have a Druze we're gonna bring inshallah. yeah we're gonna bring a Druze uh, um, guest at some point, and we'll talk about the relationships between our. Com- it's a very complex mm-hmm. relationship. You know, they serve in the army, we don't. How does that work? So we'll have that in more detail at some point. I would love to hear it. Uh, this one's for Amira, but you both can answer. Now that we mention quote unquote Zionism. Cool. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Zionism? Uh-huh. What do you think of the term ideology? Do you see the importance for Jews to return to Israel as their homeland? I've been wanting to talk about this, like to answer that question because we have we had a lot, but I'm so happy that we have you here. So we're not just talking about Zionism without uh, someone to either comment or correct or to say, I think that was important for me. So thank you very much for being here. Um, so... I can't I can't answer this question without like going going back because it's there's two things. One is what I was taught Zionism to be. And the second is what I saw Zionism to be. And I'll say what I mean by that. So Zionism, Suhyuniye uh, in Arabic, uh, is talked to be uh, like we don't I don't I don't feel good when I hear that word. It's a derogatory term. Yeah, it's a derogatory term, whether outside of Israel-Palestine or inside of Israel-Palestine. It's like I remember like in uh, in class, if I refuse to to like tell my friend during a test, tell my friend the answer. It was like, what? Are you a Zionist? Like, uh, like are you like the enemy? Like, why aren't you helping me out? Um, That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> why? It's because it, it's all tied to to the Palestinian story, because uh, the Zionism. What what can you define Zionism for me? I think this is where I think the. It's changed over time. I think depending on who you ask, you'll get a different answer. Mm-hmm. I think that at its base, how I view it and how I grew up with it was Zionism is the belief that Jews have a right to live in this land and the right to self-determination at okay. base. Okay. Um, now, tell me that back in 48. Tell me that back then, not right now. I think I would have a different opinion. I would be like... To come back here, where I live, where where my community is, because and I say this a lot during my tours when I'm asked this question, I can't I can't say that that's my chair without pushing you off of that chair. I'm affected by Zionism, um, and not only by the concept of that, but also acts by politicians and people of power that do horrific things in the name of Zionism. And nothing will correct that unless good things, repercussions are made in the name of Zionism to um, to kind of like clarify the the name. Because we're not in 48 right now. We're not in 67 right now. We're in today's time. Um, and I emphasize that we shouldn't forget the pain of our ancestors, not Jews, not Palestinians. Um because Jews also have their like it's a like understatement to say they have their fair share of generational trauma. Yeah, the the joke is the history lesson for Jews is who's trying to kill us this century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like yeah. Um, so we should learn from that. We shouldn't like right now. It's all uh, for Palestinians. It's all because of the Zionists. When I when I when I was younger, I came to I thought I was woke. I came to a realization where uh, I thought that. Um, every, uh, what's it called? 
Every not Zionist every, is yeah, every, uh, not every Jew is a Zionist, but every uh, Zionist is a Jew. Mm. And I thought I was like giving, like I thought I was being supportive of the Jewish community. And I was like, no, I'm open-minded, I'm woke. But then like you're okay if you're not Zionist. Yeah, you're okay. Like Zionism <laughs> mm -hmm. is the problem. Zionism is the problem. Yeah. It's the it's the actions that have been made and committed in the name of Zionism, in the name of the Jewish people, and the right of self determination. That is the problem. Like. Mm. Uh, and like I said, what, what will fix that is the opposite in the name of Zionism. Um, and you can't, you can't talk about Zionism to a Palestinian without them feeling that hurt, that wound of whether that's 48, whether that's before, whether that's right now, home demolitions, whether that's uh, the situation in Gaza right now, the everything, everything, it's all tied to Zionism. That's, what, that's how we feel. So because of that mere definition, do we have a problem with the self-determination of the Jewish people? No. The problem is for us is that how it, negatively it has affected us, what it has done to us. Um, and I think, like I said, like if you asked me that before, I would have a different question, a different answer. Through through my journey of becoming who I am today is having conversations. And I remember the first time I sat with someone and talked about this with a Jewish person mm -hmm. was with my first manager when I was a first position as a program coordinator with a, an amazing program called the Yellow Young Leaders. And I asked her, like, we, I was like, yeah, but you're not a Zionist. And she was like, of course I'm a Zionist. And I was like, you hypocrite. How can you fight for peace? <laughs> How can you fight for peace when you're a Zionist? And she was like, of course I can fight for peace when I'm a Zionist. I believe in my self-determination. And that kind of like shattered things yeah. for me. Um, yeah, because I, I hear like that some people, you know, uh, my self-determination is not eliminating yours. Yeah. And that, you know, some people in their view of Zionism is to us self-determination and for others around the world. Like there's that perception of, you know, we are the voice of the the weak and uh, the ones who are struggling have been you know, uh, persecuted and we want self-determination. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, only like it's obviously Jewish, but it also, you know, uh, can be reflective of other sufferings of other people around the world. Uh, so, you know, for some people would tell me, you know, for me, that's also part of their Zionism is that Israelis and Palestinians should have self-determination as part of what they consider Zionism. Everybody yeah, yeah, in the world like... of every cultural group should have that right. Self-determination for everyone. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we heard that uh, as, you know, part of Zionism. And how do you view Zionism? It was in, absolutely. In I mean, I'm, I'm in the same way, I would say that your boss told you, I'm a Zionist. I think if you'd ask, you know, almost every Israeli, they would say the same thing. And I think it's changed my generation in particular. I was raised with the definition that I told you. Mm -hmm. And I'm raised in like... I'm chetzi chetzi. My I have Israeli family, but I'm also raised in the American Jewish kind of. Uh, there's many different versions of this, but I would say generally the American Jewish kind of upbringing, um, and I would say that at base Zionism to me is that we have a right to be here and that we have a right to make our own decisions, especially in light of our history and things that have happened. I think that Zionism can. Uh, it, I would think now over time, I, I wasn't, you know, born in Herzl era, Theodore Herzl. I'm not, uh, you know, from the early 1900s, so I can't speak to that, but I would say it now is a spectrum of things, um, and gets labeled as a spectrum of things. So if I say I'm a Zionist and I say that the definition that I gave is my definition of it, but me just saying it, um, 
you guys might think a certain thing about me. And people on the internet, uh, people, let's say, who live in America, who have been to a few rallies, might have an assumption about what that means, about what I believe, about what should happen to such and such people who live in the best West Bank, or that I am mm -hmm. pro-settlements, or that I am pro this or that. And uh, it's gotten, I would say, turned into, turned into basically a curse word. And yeah, it's a derogatory term. It has become a derogatory term, and it isn't. And not from my belief ar around it. Um, and I think that this is a place where if we can reach uh, mutual respect and understanding of our histories, then if it can be viewed with an understanding of why it gets a certain reaction from people who are Zionist um, and gets viewed as why people who are self-described Zionists are that way by people who have that reaction, then we can maybe move forward and have a dialogue around mm -hmm. it. Um, just like we're doing right now, yeah, to be yeah, honest, yeah. like it's not impossible for people to, to discuss. It to feels talk about uncomfortable. It. I feel uncomfortable, but it's supposed to be discussed. Yeah, we're and supposed I, to discuss uncomfortable things. Yeah, and I would say also that the that aspect around it makes it uncomfortable to even talk around in like a secular American society, as an example. Absolutely. To say yeah. it, uh, to say it about myself can bring so many assumptions that then I feel like I have to explain myself. And it's unfortunate that that's the case. You're like, you need to prove yourself that you're not a Correct. bad person. Correct. That it's, it has become so warped. And um, certainly there are people who uh, champion Zionism who have done bad things. And there are, like, there are people who have championed any ideology who have done bad things. Mm -hmm. uh, but for a word to have such an association when at its base, I think for most people who describe it as that, it's coming from actually a place of dignity and goodness and respect of ourselves and other people. I, it's sad to me that it uh, has that association. And I would hope that we can move to a place where we can have less discomfort around talking around it and uh, be able to understand where each other are coming from with it. Yeah, we urge our listeners to, you know, do something like, like these conversations. Like, you know, it didn't kill us. Like, we're mm -hmm. fine. We talked about <laughs> it. It's fine. And we're going to talk about it some more. And we'll talk about well, it more. And we, we've been discussing with Adam, you know, even before coming here and in general. So, like, you know, we can talk about things that are also uncomfortable mm -hmm. to both of us. Totally. And, you know, just learn from each other. It's not about proving who's right. and who's, It's just about learning and understanding your view and, and of life and my view of life and just how these things intersect and, and how we can find a mutual path together. And multiple truths can exist at the same time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. No question. So next here, it says something about that we have to watch a video together and oh, then respond okay. to it. Yeah, so one of our uh, uh, listeners sent me a video and she asked uh, to uh, if we can give our comment on the video talking about the two-state solution and what exactly, like what actually to state solution mean for some people. So we're gonna hear the video now and we're gonna comment about it. My opposition to the two state solution, as it's called, is, is twofold. Um, firstly, that if it means an Israeli state existing in any part of historic Palestine, it means that those who are ethnically cleansed do not get to return to their homes. And secondly, that it is a utopian lie. A two state solution is the thing that is spun out by Israel's international supporters all over the world constantly to justify their continued funding for the one state apartheid 
on-site reality from the river to the sea. You just saw it today. Joe Biden arrived to talk to Bibi Netanyahu and said, in passing, of course, I support a two-state solution, while continuing to fund the state, Israel, which has made absolutely clear that it has no interest in a two-state solution. At every election, the parties that win the election in Israel make very clear that they will not countenance a two-state solution. That's why they're not even engaging in the farce of peace talks anymore. Um, so the Israeli state has no interest in a two-state solution, but it's become an alibi that its global supporters use to shove money at Israel and say, well, of course, we want peace, and these dangerous fanatical Palestinians don't. The reason Palestinians are troubled by the language of a two-state solution is because Gaza is so densely populated because it's stuffed full of people who want to return to the villages they were ethnically cleansed from. That's why Palestinians find talk of a two-state solution disturbing. The reason the rest of the world now finds it slightly um, uh, tiresome is that it's, been, it's become clear that it's an alibi and not a real solution at all. I don't disagree with him. I don't uh, completely agree with him. I think it is, like we talked about it, it is the two-state delusion. We talked about it. We, we it asked has... the question if it's delusion. I don't think it's a delusion. The concept of it is our, it's an ideal concept of where there is a uh, state of Israel alongside a state of Palestine where they normalize ties with each other and recognize each other, yes. Mm -hmm. However, how it has been conducted, how it has been approached, it is being used by by Arab, by Arab leaders and other leaders to and, and Western leaders, whether that's America or the or any any other country, to kind of like sweep it under the rug, like yeah, we believe in a two state solution, but here go fund a go fund a war. Um, it I I see I understand I understand where he's coming from I understand what he's saying. There is a lot of truth to it. However, that doesn't mean whenever we talk about a two state solution, we mean about this delusion. We mean about an actual concrete resolution that will lead to a state of Palestine alongside a state of Israel. So my view is that I understand where he comes from, and I understand that there are forces that are using real attempts of solutions to continue the problem. You know, some people are using this you know, real possible solution in order to infuel continuing the problem, just like this particular government that is obviously against two-state solution, but you know, can say it because they know they don't have a partner on the other side. They can say it because they can always say, well, there's Hamas in Gaza, so we can't do a two-state solution because there is a terrorist organization leading the Palestinians, so we can't do a two-state solution. Sorry, it's their fault. I understand that part of the equation, but... Um, but I think the, the the American problem, for instance, is that the U.S. has never been adamant and clear about and uh, you know pushing the two-state solution as their number one priority and goal in life. Because if they did, yes, they would stop. They would Who tell. Has? They would. They would. It would say to Israel, like we're. If if you don't continue build, if you continue building settlements, we're stopping funding. Like you know, to to give an ultimatum, but that ultimatum should be also given to the Palestinian Authority that also enjoys a lot of the, you know, um, the funding yeah, from the yeah, world, yeah. and also plays the card of the well, you know, we we could want a two-state solution, but you know, we're, we're occupied, occupied and they don't want also on the other side. So if, if both sides tell the other, well, the other side doesn't want. By the way, it's it serves both current entities, and that's where I disagree with him. It serves current entities. Ah, that's okay. I agree with, I you agree completely. with that. Yes. Because, you know, uh, to, to say that it's been used in order to eliminate two state solution, I'm sorry, in the past, and he's, you know, he's saying that uh, people are electing parties that are pushing the, the one state narrative. Well, if they voted for yeah, other they parties, for other people. if it's they voted for before. other parties, and it happened, exactly, it happened before in the 90s. Yeah. 
And it's just a thing that hasn't happened now. And it's uh, it, there's also been an enormous amount of apathy towards it for 20-something years. But also, you speak about it from an American context. Americans are not good both as a government and as a people at anything that takes more than a year or something like that as a problem to solve. Long-term problems. Long-term <laughs> problems are not American strong suits. So I would Neither just... they are Israeli. Sure. I mean, maybe it's human nature. Maybe it's a struggle uh, with solving long-term uh, issues. It's part of our problem as a as a as a species. As a species, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I would say that I, if you were to take um, what he's saying and the government of both Israel and the states and the Palestinian Authority as the truth of what the people actually feel, exactly. That's then my problem. Sure, what he's saying is right, but it's not the case. You can talk to you. Uh, you both know an enormous amount of Israelis who don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. And also Palestinians who don't feel that way and Americans who don't feel that way. We are not our governments. Yeah, and he's saying, you know, the Palestinians are, you know, uh, uh, troubled by the two-state solution. Is Palestinian? No. I'm not sure. But he's, so. he's saying the Palestinians are troubled by two-state solution because it eliminates them returning to their old homes. And oh, We uh, didn't address that part. He segmented it into two, two points. So in, but just in general, my first issue is that it puts all Palestinians as ones that don't want this two-state solution. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm advocating for two-state solution, even as a Palestinian, maybe I want one state, maybe it's Palestinian state on the opposite side of the Israel. But no, there are Palestinian peace activists calling for two-state solution. Mm -hmm. We can't say that all Palestinians believe they need to return to Haifa and Akka. Like, it, it, it's a very complicated issue, the issue of refugees. And it, it might not even be solvable. I don't know. But to, to, to frame it as an Israeli interest to mm -hmm. keep the two-state solution uh, that I agree. alive in order to eliminate it, I disagree because it eliminates Palestinians who want it and it eliminates Israelis who truly want it. That I agree. And our entire episode three was about how both the Israeli and Palestinian side, and along with their supporters, had no interest in actually fulfilling a two-state solution and therefore it turned into a delusion. Um, I agree with that. And yeah, the, the, the issue of refugees is very, very complex. It's a very complicated, but not every refugee who was a refugee who, I don't know, lives today in, 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 in Gaza, for instance, is going to tell you, well, I want to go back to Akka. Mm -hmm. People are also we realists. We can't. We can't speak not, for them. Not all of them, obviously. But, some people but still yes, have we that. Need to be realistic. Some people Just, have that dream in their in their heart, and that's their right. I can't tell them otherwise. But some people are telling, you know, saying something else. Today, I'm born in Gaza. Like his grandfather was born in Akka, not him. He was uh -huh. born in Gaza. So now he's gonna look. For, he, he obviously has that vision of maybe at least visiting Akka one day. Maybe in a two-state solution, he can visit his ancestral home. But at least to be able to live dignify, uh, dignity in the place he has now, in in Gaza, to I wouldn't. Live in, in, I wouldn't dignity. speak. I wouldn't speak. No, on like I've, I've heard that I from wouldn't. a couple of people who were like, you know, obviously I want to return to to Siaka and everything, but I, at least, at least let's do a solution so at least I can visit it again. If, again, like, let, you know, let me say just one thing. Yeah. I wouldn't speak on behalf of them, um, because. Like we said before about the uh, wanting to return to homeland and mm. Zionism being that definition and the self-determination of, uh, of the Jewish people. Um, Palestinians also deserve the same thing. Absolutely. They deserve the same thing. However, 
just because that one thing cannot be clearly seen, like it's foggy, the resolution of that one thing does not mean that I should, aspect. on the refugee aspect, that not mean that I should put the entire thing on hold and just continue in limbo. Which is actually what happens a lot of the time. Which one of the biggest issues in the two-state solution that's now like one of the things that prevent solving it and in Camp David and other uh, uh, previous incidents, one of the main issues was was the refugees. It's a huge question and it needs to be discussed more elaborately. Like we might need to have a whole episode on, on, more. on, on uh, or, or more on refugee, Palestinian refugee status and, you know, what could be a, a better future for them. But let's not forget we're not the only refugees in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, if if we're going to go back to, let's put everybody back to where they came from, we're going to reshuffle the whole world. Mm-hmm. Reshuffle the whole world. I'll bring another we're context. We're going to bring all the Asians back if to we... Asia and all the black to Africa. Like, you know, it, the world changes. Wars happen. People move. People become refugees and people start new lives elsewhere. That's if we open the reality. Entire wor- if we open the entire world to each other and I could go wherever I want and live wherever I want, would I care? The problem is that refugees don't have a place to return to. They want, like, they don't have an actual status. Because Give they're them not a accepted. Status. Exactly. Because they're not, in Lebanon, they don't have, they have zero rights, for mm-hmm. instance. So in Lebanon, it's on purpose not given uh, any any rights in order to tell them, you, you know, you, what you need to do is go back to your home. But they've been living there for 75 years. They've had at least three or four generations mm-hmm. of people living in dirt poverty. And what are we telling? We're sacrificing them as well. But that's also part of the sacrifice. We're sacrificing the refugees. You need to live in horrible conditions forever and ever until Palestine is back. Egypt didn't open its, board, its borders. One of the things that uh, that they said was um, part of the Palestinian cause is the right of return and the sumud, the... Um, Standing, resilience, resilience. Stand, the resilience, and that was one of the things. That's one of the things that they said. They said one, we don't want, uh, we don't want to rage a war against Israel. We don't want the t- terror to come outside of of Egypt towards Israel, and then to for Israel to retaliate. And the second one was uh, that they don't want to end the Palestinian cause. That they need to stay uh, rooted in 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 where they are. The, people are dying. I get what you're saying completely. Um, Very complicated. <laughs> yeah, I w- actually wanted to ask a question, but it, we would be there forever. Yeah. Um, next question is for Amira. Uh-huh. Why was your house demolished? Ooh, okay. Amira, like, I don't know, 10 people asked the same I question. Heard a little, I heard some of the story, but I, I want to hear more. Some of the story. I told you. You mentioned story. some on a previous podcast. He listens to our uh, podcast, uh, Amira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't know how many there were built. I don't know. <laughs> one I, thing that he forgot. I failed we're... one element of the test. Oh, I God. didn't know that there were going. I had to take notes. <laughs> he should always think. About it. <laughs> um, so why why our house was uh, was demolished? Or partially, right? Partially demolished. Um, so I told the, I told the story that once. Uh, we used to live in another portion of uh, of Jerusalem. Um, I w- like my parents aren't originally from Sheikh Jarrah. My parents are both uh, from Hebron uh, originally, um, but uh, that's the case of a majority of of East Jerusalem. There are a lot of people from Hebron living in living in Jerusalem. Um, and like I said, I came home from school and I witnessed the demolition of the second story of our of our house. Um, why was it, and this was like a month or two after we moved into that house, we bought that house. We didn't build anything. We didn't like, we had no, we just bought that house ready. Um, and that house was, uh, was empty. 
No one was living there before. Like there, the the owners were abroad. No one was actively living there. Um, and apparently, the way that I know the story, apparently that the second floor was built illegally. Um, and um, the what's it called? The warnings, yeah. warnings, the the warnings of uh, of the demolition or the warnings of like the legal aspect of it was going to the previous owner, and no one touched this place. No one touched this up until we moved in a month after. We shuffled all our stuff to this house, um, and then. Like we just, no one was home when it was demolished also. Like, I don't know if this is like, uh, uh, like deliberate that they went when no one was home, but no one was home. We were, all my siblings and I were at school. My mom was, my mom was out and my dad was at work and we came home to, to them just demolishing shit. And they, my dad was actually called by a neighbor to come. We had no idea. Wow. Um, so that, that was the reason. Um, it's not a unique case, unfortunately. It is the case, uh, it happens a lot in East Jerusalem. Why? It's not always the case of, of lack of knowledge where we didn't know, um, or like we didn't know the, the situation of the house. Um, but sometimes P like Palestinians of East Jerusalem are kind of forced because of how difficult it is to get a permit to build. Where are they supposed to build? Where are they supposed to go? East Jerusalem is like a butthole. Where are they going to go? <laughs> Where are they going to go? And they want to build. Now, that's also not just the case in East Jerusalem. It's also the case in West Jerusalem. But where do we see the demolitions happening? In East, in East Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So that, does it happen in, in uh, other places? Oh, yeah. Like for the Druze, like I mentioned, yeah. it happens even to the Druze community. And they pay that hundreds of thousands of shekels of fines. And they're like... Well, you're not even giving me permits. I'm serving. I'm doing everything, and even then, I'm not even uh, like allowed to to, mm -hmm. to build. And and you know, you're making it so difficult for me. It's just to, uh, extremely. Expand. It's extremely difficult in general to get a building permit. It's more difficult for Palestinians, and when they do, they're like obviously caught, um, and then f face the, face the consequences either with a fine. It depends. Like if it's the this is very balcony, stupid. If or... it's, it's either a balcony, a second story, sometimes the entire house. Sometimes it's like a small garage or something like next to the house. Um, and uh, it's it, it, it gets demolished. Sometimes it's the first floor of the house and then the other floors are licensed. I don't know how this this happened, but I've it, seen so it's, uh, still able to stay up and they leave it. But they for the rest of their lives, they need to, to pay fines because it's illegal until they apply and until, until they're approved. Uh, and I know that I know this specific case. Um, so it's the the problem needs to be solved within the roots of make it make it easier for people to build, for people to live both on the east, on the like East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem. And if you want to apply punishment, apply it equally. So this next question, Ibrahim. Why are you anti-religion? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I know. There's a little uh, perception about me, I think, uh, all because of Amira. All because of... <laughs> always, always blame the woman. Always. Not, not because you're a woman. <laughs> the only woman in the room. I'm going to use oh, that card. Sure, by all means. <laughs> um, so in, in one of the episodes, we talked about the role of religion. Amira was talking about the importance of religion being part of the solution and how she envisions religion as you know, being uh, used as a tool in order to find solutions and bring people together. 
and I disagreed with that. Not because Only initially. Initially, and just in general, not because of, you know, not because I have an inherent problem with religion. I have an inherent problem with the religious. I think that's the, the difference. I'm actually fascinated by religion and theology, and I I, I research that for my Wait, own. Wait, what do you mean fun. by the religious? You mean the religious people? I'm the meaning the people leaders, who, the people who the embody, just in general, people who embody the religion. Uh-huh. There is a difference between the religion as a thing on its own yeah. and the people who um, Does it matter the practice, religion? Practice, it doesn't matter the religion. Like, uh, it's the people practicing Christianity the religion. Christianity and Christians. Yeah, Muslims, Muslims and, Islam. and Islam, Judaism and Jews. Mm-hmm. And they don't correlate. The way I view things, and particularly when we talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I feel that the religious or the people who are using religion, Islam or, or Judaism or maybe even Christianity, are using it in the way to increase the divide. Uh, people are, you know, uh, we see more religious figures who are advocating religion for negative connotation or like, you know, pushing their own narrative on the conflict of why it's me versus you, rather than talking about what you envision. And, you know, it's it's admirable vision. And I, I love that vision of, because, you know, he talked about it. There are correlations between the religions. And if we want, we can talk about the things that unite us. And, so and language. That, the, the two languages we mentioned the language of how some you know some of the religious scholars wrote in Arabic because that's think, the language that they use but the problem is that it's not used that way and and to have the belief that people will do it I don't have it because you know if we look at you know who chooses religious scholars who chooses religious figures um what monetizing happens to what they teach and preach. We know it from some, I know it from a mosque that I personally know that the sheikh there advocates radical things. Who, who stops that? Who prevents that? People go to that sheikh and they go and every Friday and they listen to horrible things that he says. Who's going to monetize it? Who's preventing him? Same thing for a rabbi, you know, don't get me wrong. It's on all elements. The problem is that the religion has been used in order, in, particularly in this conflict, in order to divide. That's exactly what unite. I was talking about, to fix that, to fix it. I don't know if I can fix it. I think that, that that's just like the way I, I don't know if I can fix, um, what's the word? Like the, the, the foundation of the religions, uh, the religions as structures. I don't know if we can reshape the whole structure of how these religions are, um, are uh, being uh, constructed on, in real life. Is it the foundation of them or is it radicalism? It's radicalism. Um, I think because it's, if you say it's the foundation, then you have a problem with the religion, not the religious. No, the, how they founded and structured the religion in 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 the life, like how you choose a rabbi or a sheikh, um, what messages are, 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 what are the things you're teaching? Because also some people also teach wrong things, you know. Because uh, we know it also again from Islam that, uh, for instance, in the issue of the hadith, which is are the words that the prophet has spoken, and these are things that are taught in order for people to learn. Has spoken and done. Uh, has spoken and done in order to take them, and you can you can practice them in the, your own life. You call it sunnah. And uh, the al hadith. Hadith and al hadith. If you follow it, it's a sunnah. Yeah, it's a sunnah, and. There are more hadiths than the Prophet's own lifespan. Yeah. <laughs> there are more hadiths than the, life, uh, the Prophet's lifespan. So the vast majority of the hadiths that are people using are false. It's people saying that the Prophet said this in order to incorporate what they want the religion to look like. Mm-hmm. 
And that's in all religions is the interpretation of the faith. In my view, the interpretations have been more pushed towards the negative elements rather than the positive. Unfortunately, I'm not happy about it, but that's the well, reality. Re that Religion has always been intertwined with power. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a problem with that. So for me, I think that religion in, in the context of the conflict should be a personal element and the but, conflict should be talked about in a, in, a, in a national way rather than a religious way. Because if we talk about borders and states, it's not about faiths. The faiths can bring people together, but I just have seen it more often than not being used to divide the people rather than bring them together. Again, you're, you're, mis you're not understanding what I said in that episode. I, I understand that no, no, point. I'm just telling them about my problem with anti-religion and all these things. That's but all. if you go to the core, and that's when I said that both Israelis and Palestinians should look at themselves and, and build their own civil society. Yeah, but this is, bringing, this is putting faith in people to actually Take the religion and take Ibrahim, it to the positive. Where, whether you like it or not, these are the people of the land. We're not, we're not Madinat Tel Aviv. We're not the city of Tel Aviv. We're not the city. We are this, this entire region. You can't, you can't preach to a group of people that agree with you without the majority of the people that are dictating what's actually going on. You, even, if, even if you're completely right, there, there are people that disagree with you, and it's not if means. they're not shifting. You need to like if you can't beat them, join them. Like, you need to interact within. You need to understand a way how I can make them touch think, them on religious them elements think, that will bring them towards. Make it them think that it's their idea. Make it make them think that oh, this is like actually who we are. So I would want to bring them to to think about that in a nationalistic way. Not religious way. Again, you like, have wanna... to speak their language. Yeah, but that's also their language. Like, I'm sorry, Palestinians don't talk about nationalism in religion. N no, they're not. Palestinians are relatively not a religious community. If you want to compare Palestinian community next to other communities in the Arab world, we're not as religious as other communities. Religion. I don't think you're right. Uh, we all don't forget that we have a Christian community. Jones, okay. Which is which is not the case for a lot of Arab, uh, Muslim countries that they barely have other minorities, so they don't have that uh, that nationalism not being directly correlated with Islam. In some Muslim countries, it's Islam means the state. And you have Palestinians that say Christians aren't actual true but Palestinians. This, but this is not the case here. But that's very minimal because we have a very relatively large Christian community. And nationalism. No, I'm in saying the Palestinian... that in a, in a hypothetical way right. because they don't act as strongly yeah, as but, uh, as Muslims. But for me, particularly on the Palestinian element of identity as a national identity, it's not a religious identity. It's a national identity. In deeply interwined in religion. No, it interwinds, but it's not as core can, can as you, it is in other states. Can it's you not say, Saudi Arabia? For can instance. you say Palestinian without thinking of Al Aqsa? Yes. Can you say what? Of course. What do you mean? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's unfor it's not what it actually is, but right now, but yes. But it's been used as a symbol of the resistance. That's, uh, that's, that's why the that's nationality again, is intertwined with the religion. But that again goes back to my point that more often than not, religion has been used to divide. Al-Aqsa has been used as a symbol, instead of symbol of faith, and here was the 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 um, the temple, and now we have the Al Aqsa, and let's pray together and whatever. No, it's it's mine, not yours. 
You see how religion is is being used. Even that's used that's as the name of uh, the attack on October seventh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, even the name is Tawafan al-Aqsa. It's being used as In a English. way of uh, Tawafan al-Aqsa is the flood of uh, al-Aqsa Mosque. The, the the even the religion in that sense is being used as a tool of pushing the violence. The radicals that have pushed the religion and utilized the religion in order to spread this radical concept, yeah. not the religion itself. No, no, no. I know. No, it's not the religion itself. And it's that's why we can also utilize the religion as a medium to push our peaceful. So I think we already lost there. I think what, they've what? already. I, I think they've. <laughs> we haven't even tried. I think they've already monopolized the perception of religion to that end that we need to find other ways to convince the people war with nationalism rather than religion okay i think we can uh, disagree on that agree to disagree all right this last question came from a lot of people how can we i us how can we give you money <laughs> so for those who are uh, writing down my bank account is five three two zero no, i'm kidding um, <laughs> Uh, so what we were actually, and we appreciate, you know, the people who are trying to support us in, in so many ways, you know, people who are sharing uh, and posting and all these things, you know, this is crucial. We want to spread the third narrative as high and wide as possible. And also we're thinking about how we can expand this uh, podcast, the third narrative. We're looking at, you know, different ways that we can, you know, I don't know, create an entity out of it. However, and- if there's something that unites Palestinians or Arabs is that we fucking suck at asking for money. We suck at fundraising. Um, it's just within our culture that we like to, we will show off our money even when we don't have it, but <laughs> we'll never ask thing. for it. <laughs> we'll never ask for it. The funny thing, we always talk about like, you know, uh, how we Arabs always, uh, in Israel in particular, we just look to show that I have money and I'm spending money. And then you see your, like, and we talk about it in like closed doors, like, but you know that your Jewish friend doesn't do the same way. Like the <laughs> cultures are different in that yeah, aspect yeah. that I'm not showing off my money by, you know, going out to every dinner. And the dinner. Jewish way also to, to get money to come to you would be like, if you insist on giving me money, <laughs> this is how. Yeah. So if you guys insist on giving us, we I, learn. I we learn. We, we're learning. <laughs> That's why we brought a Jewish person to this episode. No, we're kidding. Um, see, we're learning from you. <laughs> um, but basically, we're looking into ways to expand. And if anybody has any ideas, you know, uh, that want to contact us and reach out to us, you can reach out to us by our email. You can find our email on the Instagram bio, and you can reach out to us also on Instagram itself, either to me or Amira or to the page. And, and we'll, we'll think of something. We'll think of something. And we'll, we would love any suggestions, any yeah. ways that, you know, uh, you can um, um, give us any advice on how to uh, move this uh, project forward. We're, we're all ears. And we are, again, appreciative of everybody who's been uh, very kindly supportive and all the people who are saying how can i contribute spread the third narrative that's yep. the first that's thing the first that we, we 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 can ask for is help us spread this narrative as high and wide as possible and to end we'd like to thank our uh, specimen <laughs> we'd like to thank our random selection from uh, the audience <laughs> i was like specimen <laughs> <laughs> we'd like to thank uh, adam you were you were amazing you didn't just ask us the questions you had your own specific questions you had input um and uh, again not each and every person who listens to us is an adam in a different vessel um, but it is one of our uh, Adam. It is one of the people that uh, has been listening to us, 
And since the beginning, right? Since, yeah, since yeah, we had yeah. how many Very followers? early on, like a thousand or something uh-huh. like that. I don't know. Yeah, at the and I'm now on the we ground hit sixteen. Floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you like, when you get a Patreon or something like that, give me a little badge. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it was a, it's been really a pleasure to be with you guys and get to know you. And you know, in all of this, there's not always like you guys said the same. There's not a we won't always agree on everything, but it's most important that we have a dialogue and discussion and can actually listen and be able to sit in and uh, have a relationship with one another. So that's the most important thing, and that's how we make this the third narrative that you guys believe in and I believe in also possible. So thank you for having me. Thank you. you. Thank and you for having us. On this note, Do you wanna we end? end us off? Absolutely. And again, thank you, Habibi. We really appreciate everything that you've done with us today. And uh, you've brought us the reminder now that at the end of the day, we all deserve better. <laughs>